what I share is beyond the just follow your heart. Because even though that's important, I do think that there is a sense of having a vision or a mission or a purpose, which is even incorporating the heart. But it has, again, a little um, meat around the bones. And so from the very beginning, I talk about having some sense of a, of a mission, a purpose, a vision. Welcome to the... <laughs> no, 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 I can't do that. Let's try another one. Uh, how about this? <laughs> no, no, that won't work either. Let's try this. get on board with that. Let's roll with it. Welcome to the Begin the Begin podcast. My name is Jeff Hillemeyer, and I'm on a mission to find out what makes people tick. Not just anyone, people who are making a profound impact on the world. I want to dig into their origin story and get to the root of why and how they do what they do. I hope you are as inspired coming out of these conversations as I am. Let's get into it. This is a very special episode of my podcast because I get to interview someone who is a true inspiration to me and so many. Ann Kramer is one of the most purpose-driven, caring people I know, and you'll see why people call her the human exclamation point after you listen to this. Let's put it this way. I want to be Ann Kramer when I grow up. All right, I think we're live. Ann Kramer, how are you? Hi, Jeff. I'm great. Thanks. How are you? It's so good to be here. Yeah, and you said it's storming at your house right now. Yes, it is. Can you hear the thunder? We may get interrupted, and I hope I don't get interrupted with very bad internet connection. Okay, well, that's fine. We can manage that. No, I really can't hear anything, but one of my favorite things about you is your yes and philosophy. Yes and, yes. So I want to hear your yes and about this storm that you're you're having. Well, yes, and it's a great storm. And we have a little vegetable farm. In fact, Jeff brought him some beets from outside today and tomatoes and flowers because we've never had a garden because we had such beautiful trees. And two years ago, one of our trees fell and it opened up a space. That was the yes, and it had a dent in the roof and we got a chance to have a garden. So that's such a classic um, (laughs) Ann Kramer story. The tree fell. Most people will be like this terrible thing happened. The tree fell, but it ended up in a new garden. A new garden because we had (laughs) sunlight coming through. Never had sunlight. I love it. Well, I, I can't thank you enough for taking the time. You are in demand. You've got so many things going on. Um, but the, Always you know, anything for you, Mr. Oh, Hillemeyer. You're the best. Well, what I'm trying to do with this podcast is, is talk to people who inspire me, people who I think are doing amazing things in the world and dig into the roots a little bit. Um, and as I've talked to business leaders, as I've talked to authors, you know, things that I aspire to do well, um, I think the thing that I most aspire to to be and to have people say is that I was kind and that I I uh, was was willing to be there for somebody when they needed help and that is you like if I could grow up to be Ann Kramer I would that's that's my goal oh, I mean thank you that everybody is so who precious. knows you, I'll never get to your level of 
positivity, even though I consider myself positive, but I just, I, everything that you do and everything that, that, um, exudes from you is helping others. And I just appreciate that so much about you. Oh, that is, thank you. Thank you. Well, I think that's part of the, the story, isn't it? I mean, the least of these and, um, loving all children. And so there we get to connect them. And that's my math part too, is always connecting. Always connecting. Well, to start with this, what, tell me your, your personal purpose. Sorry, honey. I apologize. That's okay. You said it might happen. Was it the storm knocked you out for a second? Yeah. Okay. We're good. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> well, so what I was, what I was wanting you to start with was your purpose, your, I've heard you articulate it. So tell us what that is. Well, it's so funny because you, you already started using the words. It's sort of the roots and wings with love as that which connects all things. Um, and I do think the purpose always is based on my baptismal covenant. And as a, a Christian, as a privileged white person, Christian, that I come, it's an interesting thing with a, both a naive faith, but a very intentional purpose. And the purpose, which when I was 12 during confirmation, that I was able to then understand that the purpose that I was to do was like to seek and serve Christ in all persons, that there is a God in every single person. So therefore, for me, it's how do I find that God and elicit that God in terms of a person's being able to walk into his or own purpose. And yet the and part of that is that in addition to finding that God in every person, And it's often, I call it the tickle spot, because there's some people that it's a little hard to find that God person. You you have to work a little hard to find the (laughs) tickle spot. But then it's also not just to love, but to strive for justice and peace among all people and to be able to respect the dignity of every human being. So if you're looking at it from that base, the ground, uh, therefore, um, it started from that baptismal covenant, and it's sort of gone over and over and over from my life where I do have a purpose statement where I want for every child and we always reiterate every child to be able to grow up to be safe to be educated to be connected I always love this to be employable and to be an interdependent you notice not dependent not independent Mm. but an interdependent person within our world, as in contributing. And so from me, that whole purpose is based on that baptismal covenant. And consequently, it's another one of my fun things. I think about the expectancy theory, where you move into a path or a journey of life, that it's a seasonal time. It's seasons where we spend more time with our family or more time in our careers, or sometimes we have the babies and sometimes we have the older people. Life is that always moving towards the North Star, the North Star, the expectancy of what will be. And therefore, it's that expectancy or hope that you just continue to walk. So therefore, it's the, the rootedness of the faith statement from Baptismal Covenant to the whole wings to fly into that precious interdependent person as a part of our contributing um, I have to confess, I changed a word because I used to call it citizen and someone called me on it where they said, Ann, you just said you wanted to have respect 
for every human being, but every person isn't a citizen. And I said, whoa, yes, that's true. So the consequence is that the interdependence for every person to be a contributing person in our community. When did you land on that well-rounded, well-thought-out, you know, maybe you're tweaking a word here or there, but like, when did you land on that as sort of your personal purpose? Well, it was early um, because of the faith statement that I was aware of uh, a lot of people. In fact, Jeff and I started working, in fact, with Young Life. I mean, I've been with IBM since the day I graduated from college. So the IBM thread and the part of the privilege especially when I came to Atlanta, a part of a huge corporate 500 company, was involved with the junior league. So I met all the people who were doing things in the community, white people. Mm. And though a part of St. Luke's, the Episcopal Church, which was a little bit more on the edge of civil rights and being involved with friends at Candler and Columbia who were working with urban ministries. And so I picked up with that crowd because they were from Jacksonville, a lot of them, not all picked up with a crowd of integration, working with integration in Atlanta. And the part that made me the change was when we realized that knowing Jesus was important, but not all. And it's how then did we fit the whole connection of the whole person. Education was important. Uh, poverty and racism and opportunity was important. And so that's where I began to craft mm. the whole of the sentence was that you were, we were living with kids. I'll never forget, I'll start crying now. And I worked uh, with Jennifer who rode with her grandmama to have her baby when she was 13. She was riding on the bus to go to Grady. And I love this child. Mm. Um, they would sleep in our house. Cause you know, we've been in our house almost 50 years. And the only reason we got it was close to Bass High School and the kids could walk down and come be in our house. That's why we have it. That's why we love to have parties here, like political parties. <laughs> 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 oh, I love that. I, and I know that story. I love that. Um, tell me, though, because we both know lots of Christians that maybe didn't get to the place that you're at. You know, they, they, mm -hmm. they have the same beliefs, maybe, but somehow it didn't manifest itself into actually really living those. Um, wh where'd you grow up? Let's, let's get into a little bit of, of your upbringing. Where'd you grow up? Grew up in Jacksonville, Florida, Ortega, okay. the okay. very center point for the debutante season. <laughs> um, and daddy was a banker, um, at, uh, the trust department as head of the trust department. And then mama was a great volunteer through the junior league. I mean, I was telling mm. little the other day at, you know, she would do the walk around the neighborhood for United way. So from the beginning was a part of that. And that was the, the prescribed formula. And the irony is that early on back to my 12 year old self that I always saw everyone and that has nothing to do with good or bad it's just that uh, i would know the names of everybody i was elected president miss ideal in high school not because i was ideal but i knew jeff hillemeyer and i would speak to you in the hall mm. and i would speak to everyone i was president of my freshman class at salem because i knew everybody's name so for me it's always been that equity across all people we're all as we started, we all just have God inside of us. So I think it's that place that, and then the differentiation when I came to Atlanta in 68, to be involved in those three prestige privileged places, mm -hmm. which gave me open door to anything. And yet I was still walking on the streets 
with friends and they were my peeps, my darling, the kids and the teachers and the neighborhood and white and black and loving that. So I think a lot of it is being open to the past, that whole expectancy theory of walking and being willing to stop a minute or run a minute or change a little bit of the path. That was the, but I, even at 12, that was my whole heart. I, I was aware of all of the children. Yeah. Know. Were you an only child? No, I have a brother who's younger, not yeah. younger, but he's, yeah, he is younger, but he still lives in the same, well, not the same house we grew up in, but the same neighborhood okay. in Jacksonville, in Ortega, Ortega gotcha. Point, the very fabulous place. Uh, <laughs> it's like, no, Riverside's like Ansley. It's probably closer to a Buckhead. Okay, gotcha. It turns a little bit further out from town. So, um, I get, I get, look, I, I can get you in high school being Miss Ideal. I totally and head cheerleader. How and could head you, cheerleader. <laughs> how could you not know? <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, but uh, so, so did you, uh, you know, I, I totally can see that you saw um, and, and uh, you know, were observing things and treating everybody sort of the same because of that. Um, when did you start getting active? Was it in 68 when you came to Atlanta that you really first started to get pretty um, active? I had always been involved, okay. like obviously in high school, very involved and uh, in, in high college, like president of our class. And that was when now the National Organization of Women, uh, there were a lot of protests, but we were still a little bit separate from it. But literally when I came to Atlanta in 68, because it was such an active place, of being aware of, especially poverty, and aware of those differentials. And even for today, when we talk about the Junior League, that it was every year you'd find a project, and it was always within a community that was a higher risk. Uh, we always say that the first project was to take milk to Cabbage Town, which were the children of the people who worked in all the uh, manufacturing plants. And so I think that those eyes and ears, and again, having the sensitivity of seeing the whole. And um, in fact, Bobby Cleveland and I were talking today about how we started an urban focus group for the Junior League to look at, and this was in, well, Jeff and I had been married, but we had talked about it. We got married in 72. So it was like the 68 to 72 timeframe to really take a look at what was going on in the city. And the fact, um, doing urban plunges where you'd go down Ponce de Leon and see one street name on one side of the street and another street name on the other side of the street. In fact, our street is Austin and ours was the upper class part of Austin Avenue, which changed to Lake Avenue right at Elizabeth Street because those were the um, white, more blue collar workers. And then at Crog Street, it changes to Irwin. And then that was more lower class black people. And then at the intersection of Boulevard, it changes to Houston or John Wesley Dobbs, which were more the upper class black people. So you knew who you were based on the street name. Mm -hmm. And it was that whole Ponce de Leon was just fascinating to me. But again, yeah. it was those urban taking that, that was in 68, doing those kind of understanding the poverty, the, separ the separation, the segregation, and then how do you begin to look systemically at it? 
Well, geez, 1968. I don't know if there was a more pivotal year in this country's history. I mean, certainly. Other than 2020? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> what we're going through. Um, my goodness. I mean, you had Martin Luther King, you had Bobby Kennedy, and, Kennedy. Then, we got, and then we got Nixon. So, oh, geez. Um, yep. So that's an interesting year for you to end up in Atlanta, you know, quote unquote, the center of civil rights. Um, that's and that's a- where, again, being at St. Luke's, like you're being at Central, the church was very involved in that because the church chose to stay mm-hmm. in that location where many were moving north. Yeah. Um, and so I think, again, the gift, and at IBM, for the first time, I was seeing so many diverse people in leadership positions, um, people of color, black people who were, I mean, just so amazing women that were doing amazing things. And so having those three eyes for me, both in the community through the Junior League, through my faith statement, through St. Luke's, and then through the business periphery of seeing how, but again, the privilege, because they were all people of privilege in all three locations, and yet diverse. So there was dispersed diversity and yet I was also working on the streets, literally in Little Five Points and on 10th Street, which was then the hippie hub, the hippies, of seeing up close and in my dress with my little pocketbook. <laughs> <laughs> in my little outfit, because I never wore those dark suits with the silky tie, because I thought they were, ugh, I didn't like them. I liked my colors. So, I mean, but so it's so interesting having all of those experiences sort of mushed in, which become the reflection of the person. Mm -hmm. Now, did, um, was IBM completely supportive of you getting involved in these things or did they, did they not really carry the way? No, they loved. In in fact, um, I actually, you'll love this. I actually had a leave at one time where we worked with one of our what has become communities and schools. It was called Project Propinquity in the Roosevelt High School. And then Jeff, my Jeff was working at Bass in a similar program, which all has become communities and schools. And so I was the operations person that helped get it organized on loan from IBM. And then I took 10 years out after Megan was born and that was when I was able to sort of put the juxtapositioning of all of my understanding of community living in little five points and having my math brain that helped get things organized so I could be chair of leadership Atlanta, chair of United Way, president of the junior league and all those 10 years and came back in 89 because that was 79 to 89. Mm. Worked for the governor Busby, president Carter. I mean, so that it was one of, again, that time in those time frames because president Carter was, he became president in 76. So seven was, it was just amazing having the, um, to be again, as you would say, in those pivotal years for our community, Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And then I came back to IBM in 89 when Atlanta won the bid to be the Olympic city in 96. So I came back in 89. Oh, I can hear that. <laughs> <laughs> but I stayed on. Um, so that part, those 10 years provided for Jeff and me that, that kind of ability to still work feet on the street in the community. And then and we always say we have the same base values. You can't see me. So the values that he's much more uh, personal, like teaching, being on the, the personal and that I'm the board person, but it's all based on the same intent 
And so I would be, would invite the people in and then he would be the teacher. (laughs) (laughs) And then I would work on, and during that time, we started all those organizations like Now Chris 180, Communities and Schools. Um, I mean, just so many Mm -hmm. things that began during that um, time. Did you ever run for office or think about running for office? Mm -mm. You must have thought about it. Uh, For a second. Okay. But to me, my... um, based on that principle of I always want to be the um, advocate sort of in the pushing the needle mm-hmm. in ways that give you more flexibility. So mm-hmm. more that the, the directional without being an elected official. In fact, I was talking to a guy today who's thinking about running for school board and the reality that um, that's the only thing you can really work on, you know, so that I like the bigger yeah. issue from arts to the zoo from advocacy to the kind of ways that you get to work in community. Yeah. Tell me what you think about um, business and um, it's, I don't know, I would, I would call it responsibility, but but maybe others wouldn't, but you know, to to get involved in helping improve the community and, and make the world a better place. Well, I've been more encouraged recently based on, the Black Lives Matter and the, the that we've had time to think about mm-hmm. um, during the shelter in place. I've been more encouraged in the last just six months about businesses and the business roundtable changing its whole focus from stockholders to stakeholders yeah. and understanding the mutual role and responsibility in the old world where we would have the three sectors, the nonprofit, public, and for-profit sectors, each knew our role. And in today's environment, gratefully, the for-profit sector has stepped up in that moral centerpiece to speak up and speak out on things that often the public and political sector do not. And the nonprofit can, but doesn't always have the access and influence to do. And so based on what I've seen from being just a paternalistic, uh, charitable way that often companies are and what they can slap on a web page, have moved from strategic to being strategic in their corporate responsibility to now really look at it in their ESG, the environment, how you treat the environment, how you treat society, the societal responsibilities, and then the governance of the company, which needs to be much more transparent. So CSR, Corporate Social Responsibility, has transitioned to ESG, which I think gets deeper. And granted, it still can be a revenue producer because you want to keep loyal employees, faithful, faithful clients, and healthy communities. So hey, yeah. it's still okay. <laughs> That's so right. you get loyal employees, healthy clients, and a good community. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's a win. And yes. actually, all the data shows that, that if you, if you do more of these things and you lean into this area of you know, business uh, helping its community, those companies are more profitable and mm-hmm. ret- retain their employees longer. All that's there. Um, and I think it's hard, it's, you know, it's hard for public companies maybe because they have quarterly numbers and whatnot, but I'm encouraged by the, you know, Ben and Jerry's is my, my favorite. Um, yeah. in terms of, as I grow dragon army, like Ben and Jerry's just, you know, you'll get an email from them tomorrow. That's like, Hey, here's the new four flavors or whatever. But then next day you'll get a criminal justice reform email. Mm-hmm. And it's like, here's mm-hmm. how you can con- contact, you know, your Congress person. It's just unbelievable 
that they are willing to just put that all out there. Um, and so I'm a, I'm a big believer that um, I want businesses to get more involved. Um, well, and I've been proud a- of our big companies who've really stepped out on tough issues to say Black Lives Matter, mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. say LGBTQ is important. Every child, as we say, love is love. Every human is legal. I'm a great, I mean, all these things that are granted, it may help their bottom line, but it enhances the community most of all. Definitely. And they have loyal employees. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I, I love these young people because they'll ask that hard question. Let's <laughs> peel off that website and see what's behind the curtain. Yeah, yeah, I love it too. Um, who are your, who are now and who were your heroes? Well, that's so interesting because I look at it probably from a different lens. It's not so much the front page news, but like Jennifer, my darling 12 or 13 year old. I mean, she was a shero. So I think it's how we look at who people are and how they live their lives with grace and courage um, that do reflect um, such a different perspective. So, I mean, I always love to, to, to quote, look up to people that are doing wonderful things, but it's the doing wonderful things every day, like when no one's looking, yeah. that become the sheroes and the heroes to me is sort of that everyday context. Like Jeff Hillemeyer is a hero mm. because you are working <laughs> so hard, not just with Dragon Army, but in lifting up a community. And it's interesting, yesterday, speaking of uh, white Christians, um, we had Robert P. Jones on our forum at St. Luke's and talking about white too long and how we have to just begin that based on James Baldwin um, mm-hmm. poem. And how the whole thing about looking into not just asking for forgiveness and confessional, but to really work on those justice and repair pieces of those relationships and the systems and structures. So it's how do we continue to speak up, speak out, be a part of that um, whole group of people who can begin to work to change those systems and structures. Those are my heroes. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Um, what are you reading? Oh, reading? Yeah. I don't, I don't read. You're not a reader. <laughs> You're not a reader. Except Jeff will tell, <laughs> he'll kid me. I'll um, skim. I mean, like this whole the white too long. I, yesterday after we heard Robert uh-huh. Jones, um, you know, it was like, oh, wow, this is so cool. So I, re- I read all the reviews, all the work. And I do love um, reading. I do love reading. But I love to read articles and yeah. All right. Um, case statements and things like that that are so I'm not and not sitting down and just reading for hours and hours and hours. Gotcha, so, <laughs> gotcha. Um, talk. I can, I can be on Zoom calls and talk to you for hours. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, what do you, what do you, I, I just have this picture of? Um, what time do you get up? What, well, what now I'm only getting up at six. I used to get up at five. I learned that. Sleep is necessary. Yeah. Why We Sleep. It's a great book. I know you won't read it, but it's a great yeah, book. Yeah, it's a great one. No, that's a good, it's a good place to be. <laughs> sleep is a good place to be. So now okay. I'm trying to get seven hours. Seven hours. Yeah. All right. I'm, an, I'm more of an eater. So you, you get, to... Oh, yeah. Well, that's the place to be. Uh, <laughs> All right. So you, you get up at six. I just can picture you like, six o'clock hits and boom, you sit up, you're going, you're on, you're just moving. (laughs) Just like, there's no moment of, Oh, I'm so tired. You're just going, aren't you? 
Yeah, the and of that though is it's more of a meditative. It is a more of a meditative rhythmic moments. Okay. So that it is like six and then because I always like to get ahead of the day. So if you empty the dish, I mean, put the dishes away or if they're closing the dryer in terms of having the preparedness of the day, but the preparedness of the day is also the quiet. Mm. And so the, the more meditative 20 or 30 minutes of that hour, which is so important to have both the meditation, the rhythm of the day, sort of being ahead of the day. So you're prepared. And I learned that well, always, I mean, at college, I was always the first person up. And I think it's because math was always at eight o'clock. So <laughs> I was always the first person up. But it got, it got me into that rhythm of having to be ahead of the day. So you've already, you know, your day is going to be crazy no matter what. So you might as well at least have the dishes in the shelf, the clothes folded and put away. And the, the, it, we used to make sandwiches, you know, with the children put love notes in there. So have all mm -hmm. that done. And then the day can begin. So you're not behind before you start. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and check any emails that came yeah. through overnight. Okay. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I really, really respect about you is that um, there are plenty of people who, um, there are plenty of people who are inspirational and just the way that they talk and the things that they stand for and all that stuff. Um, but they're, they're usually not action oriented people. And I find mm. you to like, you say you're going to do, I'm going to make these three connections. I'm going to do this thing. You're, you're doing it. And you're early to meetings and you're just like really switched on when it comes to accomplishing things and executing. And I think that, you know, that, that to me, the people that I really respect are the people who do both. Um, you've always been that way. It sounds like, like you're going to yeah. get the job done. You're going to get an A plus. You're going to follow through <laughs> if you say you're going to do it. Right. And yet still be, Positive. In fact, that's one of the things Jeff would say, because when he met me, because I was like this happy, peppy person, which I was with all the kids and hugging them and loving them and like, well, where's the depth of that? You know, where's the depth of that? <laughs> and then it is, it's that organized, task oriented, yep. on time, on task, on target, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> a little, yes, a little organized, but yeah. it's also that which helps you have time for um, listening mm -hmm. and learning and hearing and seeing. So I think that's, again, the juxtapositioning of what is seems on one side, but then the depth behind it, the roots and the wings that give you the foundation and yet the ability to fly. Yeah, that's, that's so very you. And I love that. Um, so let, let me ask you this. If you get a chance, which I'm sure you do quite often to get in front of young people, um, mm -hmm. let, let's call them early twenties, like just starting their lives and their sort of careers. What, what are some of the things that you try to always impart on them? Well, it's so interesting because there's part of um, what I share is beyond the just follow your heart, because even though that's important, I do think that there is a sense of having a vision or a mission or a purpose, which is in incorporating the heart, but it has again, a little um, meat around the bones. And so from the very beginning, I talk about having some sense of a, of a mission, a purpose, a vision for yeah. which that's the expectancy of walking into your life's journey. And if you have that North star, then it helps make decisions along the way relative to your life partner, your career, 
where you want to live because you have that rootedness. And so for me, the kind of um, start is to know where your roots and your foundation yeah. is, your values, as well as then where that wants to carry you. But to know that you can't really go far if your roots become uprooted mm. in terms of your own life gets too far out of balance and to know yourself well enough to know that. So that the essence is, yeah, you can say, oh, follow your heart. But to me, it's more knowing your own sense of values, your own sense of your own foundational roots so that that can sustain you over time when you don't get your first job or your girlfriend or your boyfriend leaves you and you're left and you have a heart broken. So it's not just following your heart. It's yeah. having a sense of the roots and then the wings to fly you through life's journey. So powerful. That's, that's the one thing when I get asked, like, what regrets do you have? You know, if I'm getting, being asked about my career and, you know, I usually there's things I've messed up and things I wish I had done differently, but I, I don't think of regrets so much because I learned from those things. I wouldn't exactly. have gotten better, right? You have to get the scars to be able to, but the one thing I say now that, you know, I, I found my purpose six or seven years ago coming through Leadership Atlanta. And I just say, that's the one thing I wish I had had early because I think I was yeah. chasing other people's expectations of me or success as defined by our society and the not world. going after. Yeah. yeah. And so I think that's, I love that that was your answer because that's now the one thing that I just try to impart on everyone. If I'm giving a book talk about whatever, I always try to end with, but if you're going to do one thing, dig into this part of you, figure out what your purpose is. Why are you here? Mm -hmm. and from that point, I mean, your life is going to be so much better. Mm -hmm. And then um, it's interesting too, two things that yesterday, no, yeah, but Friday when Alicia Phillips last day at the community foundation and we, I got to go to that with her three friends. So, mm -hmm. but I gave her, and I think I've told you this, that whole icky guy, the yes. Japanese thing where you talk about how do you please. live your life more fully and boldly and that you do begin to ask yourself, you know, what do you do well? What do you like to do? And I always use precious accountants. They may do well the, the numbers, but they may not like to do it. So how do you merge? What do you do well with what do you like to do? What does the world need from me? Yeah. And then how do I get paid? And that can be, yes, um, through money, but it's also through satisfaction, recognition, um, that you're making a difference in the world because it does begin to yield that combination of your purpose and your passion your personal needs, your professional skills and expertise, and then your philanthropy is how do you want to make a difference? So mm -hmm. it's that five-fingered, um, a whole hand approach of how do I then give myself to the world for a lifetime? And yeah. that's the other part is life isn't yesterday, it's today and tomorrow, and how we learn from yesterday to live today and be prepared for tomorrow. Yeah, I love that. I'll, I'll link to that in the show notes because that ever since you told me about that sort of philosophy, I always, I always love that. Yep. And it's always, you think, oh, I have to take a job. Yes. That may be where you are now. Yeah. So the and is where do you find other places to bring more fulfillment? And I think that's why I love volunteering right. so much because you can have a job right. and how to find fulfillment there. Yeah. And how do you find other places that, you can be fulfilled. Yeah. And I think people also overlook the fact that um, through their job, they can impact. Um, maybe they don't see it, right? Like yeah, you could be passionate about helping children fulfill their potential and have all the opportunities they should have. 
But if, you know, your job may be working at Dragon Army and building websites, well, it, there might be ways that you can manifest that purpose at a Dragon Army, infect yes. the people around you, you know, surface up to ideas where we could work. So I think that's another angle that I think a lot of people overlooked, like, well, I have to get a job. Yeah, that, that may be your path. That, that thing mm-hmm. may be exactly where you make the biggest impact. Well, all those strange decisions, because even when I talked my job at IBM, which I loved, I always feel so blessed because that wasn't the path. The path for women at the time was you would be a teacher, a nurse, a secretary, or have a ring and get married. And nobody said IBM. I didn't know how to spell IBM. But I do think having that opportunity, yeah. even from the beginning, created for me a whole different path that I never would have had. And yet I was still able to merge all my other old selves in ways that had a, a a new path that was so rich and wonderful. Yeah. Well, and um, you know that I started an organization called Ripples of Hope because I I love love this idea. Yeah. I love this idea of um, creating ripples of hope in the world. And and that can be uh, the people you affect, you know, the things that you do or enhance the, the ways that you give yourself. But I can't think of anybody who embodies that more than you do. And I just appreciate everything that you do for, Atlanta, certainly for me, but for the greater world, um, you are you are truly someone to be admired. So thank you so much for doing oh, this. It's my heart. And you know, you're the one. And I always love the first, pe- you know, we put the pebble in the pond, mm-hmm. those first ripples out, and then how far does it go? And you just never know who will affect those little pebbles. That's right. Ever since I got a chance to meet you, I've I've just <laughs> found oh, ways to keep coming back to you. So, uh, well, honey, you're my inspiration because you're the one who is taking the baton and fast forward into the world. Thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. What a joy. Thank you so much for doing this. All right. I will talk to you soon. Thanks. Wow. You made it to the end of the podcast. I didn't think people did that anymore. Well, since I still have you, I'd love for you to do two things. First, subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you're listening on. That way you'll be alerted as soon as I post my next one. And second, I'd love for you to subscribe to my email newsletter. I send out an email every week or two, and it's really where I share my more personal thoughts and ideas. Plus, I give stuff away sometimes. You can find the sign up at my blog, jeffhillemeyer.com, and I really do appreciate you listening.